0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Nathan Hill, and today we're bringing you a cool interview with Philip Hayd. Philip Haid is the co-founder and CEO of Public Incorporated, a Toronto-based cause marketing agency and incubator that believes profit and purpose should go hand in hand. Public is working with corporations and
1: charities across North America to redefine social good uh, and to bring a new approach to cause marketing. So hopefully you'll get some brand new ideas from this interview with Philip uh, that will help you inspire more good and unleash greater generosity. Hi, Phil. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So before we talk more about, you know, public and this profit um, with purpose concept, which I love, just uh, what were you doing before public and why on earth did you decide to start public?
0: Right. And and I think the and the probably the, even the bigger question is why would I start a company at the height of the recession in two thousand and eight? <laughs> yeah, that's a better question. Which way. shows you with my business partner Paul, which show which which shows you how smart I am, clearly. <laughs> um, so before public, um I, so I interesting enough, I think like everyone's careers, um, I have It has not been a linear path. It hasn't been a straight line, right? Um, So did a, you know, master's in international relations. I worked at an umbrella NGO. I worked at a a think tank. Uh, And then just before I started public, I worked at a social issue advertising shop called Manifest Communications. Mm. Um, And it was there that I sort of kind of really came full, fully ensconced, I guess, into the marketing communications world, which really wasn't my background, but I kind of found out, um that i 'm actually a marketer at heart, uh, but obviously a passion for social issues and social change, so um had this sort of itch to create um something similar but but quite quite different in fact with public rather than manifest, and so that 's what led me to 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 co create it
1: very cool and now like the the core term at public is profit with purpose purpose mm-hmm. and um I love that saying, although I'm not entirely sure I know what what that means or what's different about it. Maybe unpack that kind of statement and what that means to you and and why that's so important to you and your company. Sure.
0: Yeah. So at the heart of that idea of profit with purpose is this um, philosophy and desire to create change in the world. And what Paul and I uh, found out early, and, and it's what drove us with this idea, is like we fully believe in a purpose economy, we think that capitalism, right, and market force can be actually a really powerful force for good, right? But it, but the more you separate sort of how a business does its business and then how it gives back to community, the more that those things are separated. And I know we're going to talk about probably CSR, yeah.
2: um,
0: which is really what CSR does. The more those things are separated, the less opportunity there is to create social impact. So mm. at the heart of profit with purpose is this idea that. If you can figure out, and if businesses can embrace the notion that social purpose and social impact, which is very different than charity, so we can talk about that as well, but that if they embrace it and think of it as a business strategy. So we're not saying it's the be all and end all, but with where the world is going, if you start to say, well, what is our, what's our impact, right? How do we as a business create value, not offset the harm that we do, but actually create value? And then importantly, how can we make money doing that, Mm -hmm. right? The moment those two things start to come together, our fundamental belief is you will create more social impact and you will create more business benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And you take an example, you know, everyone tells Unilever, but, you know, their top five performing brands out of their entire portfolio of brands, this is a, you know, multi-billion dollar CPG, um, are the ones that have purpose baked at the heart. But the heart of this idea of profit with purpose is we're saying there's nothing disingenuous. There's nothing disconnected. There's nothing untoward in the idea that you can both make money and create impact. And in fact, when those two things are really mutually reinforcing and they're really working kind of in harmony together, you'll get more of both. And so that's what's at the heart of it, profit with purpose. And we think it equally applies to the for-profit businesses and brands. But it also applies to nonprofits because when we say profit with purpose, we don't just mean money. We mean that idea of mutual benefit and reciprocity, that the more any exchange can really think about how everybody can win in the exchange, we believe that's how you get the scale. And -hmm. so that's what drives our whole, it's really our brand promise, right, to our staff, right, to our clients, to um, our investors. It's really this idea that we are going to help create impact but also be profitable by also creating a sustainable model in doing so.
1: Awesome. I'm interested in kind of digging into two of those kind of attributes of, of what um, profit with purpose and, and the stuff you're talking about is different than CSR and how it's different than charity. So maybe we'll start with like how it's different than um, charity and then the, the relation to nonprofits. Um, sure. Maybe I'll go down that route a little bit. Cause I'm interested in that.
0: Sure. Yeah. So the difference between profit with purpose and charity. So um, it's important, I think, to say right, off, right at the outset that, you know, I am not anti-charity whatsoever. I think any time that people, you know, give um, from a place of real, you know, desire to want to create impact, desire to want to help somebody out, I think that's a fantastic thing. And we need more of that in society. The challenge with the charity mindset and model, however, is that it is sort of based in a, a ritual that is, has its obviously roots in religion. And it's, it's tithing, right? And so why that, I think, from our perspective, is a problem when, when we enter into the realm of how businesses behave is that if it's seen as a nice to do, if it's seen as a thing that you ought to do to mm-hmm. give back, and, that, and this will kind of lead us into CSR, um, our problem with it is it doesn't scale. So, the problem with charity is that the notion that you can benefit, that you should personally benefit from charity, makes people feel very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And what we always say is, we understand that, but we're not talking about charity. We're talking about social impact, and they're actually quite different. So, charity is you should do something for somebody else. You should give money to a worthwhile charitable organization that is doing good things to solve problems in community. But the, the, sort of the, the stats that I always love to proselytize to sort of make the point in terms of charity not scaling is a US that, so if you take all of the given in the United States on a a given year, roughly speaking, it's about $400 billion, plus or minus. Um, 400 billion is a lot of money, but when you put it into perspective, it's not that much. So in a comparative lens, it costs $500 billion to educate kindergarten to grade 12 for one year in the United States, Mm -hmm. right? So $400 billion in a total aggregate of charitable dollars doesn't even amount to what would be needed to educate um, kids from kindergarten to grade 12, right? And it's two-thirds of Walmart's revenue in any given year. So it's not – there's no scale in it. And so for us, if we really are interested in social impact, we, we started to ask ourselves almost nine years ago, how can we use market force? How can we actually make a value proposition to companies that said, don't think of this as charity. Think of this as part of your business strategy, mm-hmm. right? Think of how you could actually do some really meaningful change in, in community and how your business can benefit. So that's the fundamental difference in profit purpose and charity is that the charity is seen as an expense to the business right? And that's and this maybe bleeds into our CSR conversation, whereas what we're talking about is not an expense to the business. It's actually an opportunity to be on the P side of the profit and loss statement, right? It's about being a revenue generator and a community benefactor, Mm -hmm. as opposed to charity, which only has the one side of it. it, has the community benefactor role, but it's an expense. And the problem with that, of course, is the amount of time, attention, and dollars that will go to sort of charitable activity, relative to a business focusing on making money is going to be very, very small. And so that's why we want to move um, the thinking around this, not from a charitable and even a CSR lens, uh, but much more to a business strategy and thinking about social impact and saying as a business in the community that you operate, how can we create value? And that just, you know, I'll, I'll stop there for a moment, but that's also the fundamental difference with CSR is that CSR has been traditionally seen as an offset, right? right? It's what we do to give back to be a good corporate citizen, yeah. but it gets short shrift relative to the core aspects of the business. And so we're trying to disrupt that, we're trying to evolve. It's not that, again, CSR is bad, but we're trying to say to businesses, start to think beyond it as an offset. Start to think of it beyond as just something nice that you do to rally your employees. Start thinking about your social impact. The same way you think about your environmental impact and start asking, you know, what is our purpose as a business and where does the social piece fit in that? And why would our employees want to come work here and what's going to motivate them and how can we create real material impact in society? Because if you start thinking on those lines, and then you ask how your business is set up to, to actually enable that and, quite frankly, make money doing that or save money doing that. Um, the opportunity, I think, both to have greater scale, um, to attract top talent to the organization, to sell more product or service, there's much more opportunity to do that.
1: And are you finding that more and more companies are are interested in that? kind of shift away from the classic CR, CSR to more of this profit with purpose, or why aren't um, they more interested in, in kind of what you're talking about? Is it like harder to do? Is it just a different way of doing things? Is it um, like, what are some of the challenges in trying to talk to these companies and moving them away from that CSR kind of model?
0: Yeah, so I would say to the first question, I'd say that, um, you know, CSR is still alive and well. Um, I think that we're living kind of in the in-between world. It's Mm. absolutely shifting. I mean, I, you know, uh, with public, but even with masses before, I mean, I've been in this world for, you know, 20 years. And I'd say that there's a lot of shift happening, a lot of positive shift happening, much more to sort of this idea that we're talking about. But we're not there yet. And so I think some companies are, have and or are moving in this direction, but lots still aren't. Lots of them are just saying, how can we be more strategic with our CSR? Right. And, you know, from where, from where we sit, that's okay, right? You have to meet people where they're at. As long as companies, individuals and companies are trying to do meaningful impact, if they're still not ready to kind of merge this with their business and it's still more kind of just their philanthropic or their community, community giving and activities that's okay then we start with them there and then we try to say well, okay well let's make sure that at least we're having real impact right so we could have a whole conversation about the difference between out you know output and outcomes because sure. a lot of a lot of companies are still um mixing them up and thinking that their outputs actually equate to outcomes um so i, I think we're it, it's an evolution and we're not there yet i think so and so then to the question about well what what are the barriers um I mean, there's a bunch of barriers. To really do this stuff well, it is harder. There's no question about it because you you can't, and this is what's, I think, terrific. I mean, there's lots of pluses and minuses of this, you know, the digital age that we're living in and the the revolution that's happening. Um, One of the good parts of it, and there's lots of challenges as well, but one of the good parts is that there's there's a level of transparency and immediacy that didn't exist before. And so, what I think is happening, and how that's putting an a, a pre- interesting and positive pressure on what we're talking about, is that you can't do the offset anymore, right? You you can't your business can't be a huge polluter or treat its employees really badly. So, take the Uber example recently, right? Mm-hmm. You and not be found out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you can't then do some nice little community charitable thing as right. if your consumer is going to just say, "Oh, wasn't well, that great?" Because they're right. going to say, "No, but you're sexually harassing your your employees, right?" Or mm-hmm. you DW and you lied about emissions, right? But mm. so you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth anymore. And so what that's doing, though, when you're thinking seriously about profit purposes, you have to look at what you're going to do from a community perspective, and you have to ask yourself if you're going to align yourself with food insecurity, if you're going to align yourself with homelessness, if you're going to align yourself with, you know, whichever issue that you believe actually aligns well with your business, you have to look inside your business and say, can we truly walk the walk with this? Hmm. right cuz if not you're going to be called out so i think so that's one challenge which is it is harder from that perspective right when you, yeah. when you kind of have the old model just the offset right. you know we'll just run our business over here and then we'll do some nice charitable stuff over here and we'll get credit for that that's easier to do it's it's well, harder right that, uh with with, with what's uh, going
1: that pressure's on both sides too Like nonprofits are being smarter and smarter. I was in a meeting last week uh, working with a donor who's wanting to fund environment organizations. And this environment organization had this long list of questions about the business of saying, if your business doesn't meet these criteria, we won't take your money. (laughs) Right. Because they're saying we're going to get found out, too. We just can't, you know, take your hush money. And not that that was this scenario, but it was it was cool to see that the, the nonprofit who obviously needs the money. Is, is, has the same kind of requirements and is looking through yeah. the lens on the other side, right?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. And I think, I think that you're, we're seeing more of that for sure. And I think the, the flip is also happening, which is interesting. So for companies that are a bit more evolved, they're also you know, challenging the nonprofit to say, but what is your impact, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know you're delivering service, but, but are you having success? Yeah. And just telling me that you've reached X amount of people, that's not success. Yeah. Right. Success is actually moving the needle on the issue. So it's forcing. I think what is what's happening is it's forcing a, a much more involved and deeper conversation about mm-hmm. social impact, which is a move away from, from charity. Not to suggest that charity and philanthropy doesn't think about social impact. But I think the old model was very much, a hey, we'll give money to worthwhile causes. And what you see that the company would tout was we gave X charity 20 million dollars right over the last five years. And like that, as if that was good. But mm-hmm. the question that I think is now being asked, and I know the question that we're pushing companies, brands, and nonprofits to think about, is: What did you do with that money? And mm-hmm. and did it have any real material impact on the issue that you're trying to trying to positively influence? Right? Yeah. So no, that, for that's sure. one of the that's one of the barriers. I'll tell you another barrier is we're seeing this a lot. There is a um, a legacy issue. Uh, which is there are a lot of CEOs who are in sort of their early mid to late, you know, mid fifties to sort of mid sixties, mm-hmm. and they fall. I would say uh, into three camps. There are those that are embracing this uh, and who get it and are being real leaders, right? So, and they're, but they're the they're the they're the exception, not the rule. And that would be people like Paul Pullman. That would be people like uh, Howard Schultz, right, at Starbucks, um, who are real, you know. Uh, Uh, well, Yvonne Schapenard at at Patagonia, but the CEO of of Patagonia today, who really get it. John Rapungal at Seventh Generation. I mean, the list goes on. But those are still the exceptions. And what we find a lot is that there are a lot of CEOs who are very well-meaning, but they either, with this idea of profit with purpose, right, that you can have both, they either don't believe that um, their company should make money around social impact and change, or they don't believe that it can do it. Right. Mm. And um, and that's a real barrier, because if, if this isn't being embraced at the top, then generally it falls down the ladder. And if it's only living in the CSR department or the public affairs department, right. it rarely gets the attention because it's not it's tangential to the business. Yeah. And so you need to get the, the CMO, the chief marketing officer involved. But you also need to get the COO and the CEO and you need to get the boards of directors and a lot of them are still not there yet. They either, the ones who don't believe it should, I think that that's going to pass sooner than later. I think that's a generational um, divide. Because when you talk to a Gen X or, uh, or a millennial about profit purpose, they get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones who don't believe it can, then that is, you know, we still need to prove it because it's still early days and showing mm-hmm. them. And you can still, so you can point to a bunch of examples, but um, they're not convinced. But then I'll tell you, when you, when you can look at an ex- uh, example like CVS, right? So a big retail pharmacy in the US who three years ago decided that they, were, they rebranded, but strategically they said, we're going to become a healthcare company. Hmm. And they rebranded as CVS Health. And they said, we are going to be about the promotion and the engagement of consumers to, to really improve their health. And the first really inspired thing they did to really walk the walk is that they banned tobacco from all their stores. Mm. And that was a $2 billion hit to the bottom wow. line, which they made back, by the way, in just over two years. Mm. Um, and now the fact that I saw most recently is that they're outperforming Walgreens by 40%. Wow. So that's inspired leadership, right? That's a company that said, we believe that social purpose, in this case, improving the health right, of, of citizens of consumers, um, we believe we can make we can have a material impact on that issue and we can make more money doing it right. and they're proving it. So the more we see those kinds of examples, the more yeah. I think we're going to overcome the barrier and the challenge of the CEO or the C-suite who says, I'm not convinced this purpose thing is going to be able to really move the dial for us strategically.
1: Yeah. Well, and I know even um, one of the big kind of shifts that that I've seen, even on like the cost marketing side is moving, you know, things out of the CSR department and into the marketing department. and. Um, yeah. Just that little like half step over in departments is actually huge um, for what it means in terms of time, attention, budgets, resources. And it's, you know, a half step closer to kind of this integrated um, process. So I, I think it's it's happening. And for sure, you know, the more that there are those success stories, hopefully it'll be easier and easier for especially you guys to, you know, convince people or persuade them to say, hey, this is the way to do it. For sure. What, sure. are, um, what are a couple other kind of great examples? You've mentioned a lot of different companies and, and that CVS example is a great one. Are there any others, maybe work that you've done recently or maybe have coming up or that just, you know, really kind of embodies the, this kind of profit with purpose mindset?
0: Yeah. So I'm really excited about um, we'll be launching very shortly uh, for the Body Shop, um, a campaign on mm. trying to ban animal testing in Canada. Mm. Um, Most of the products aren't actually being tested in Canada on animals, but what happens is a lot of the things that are brought in are made in China and there's still tons of animal testing. And it's kind of crazy. Um, It's it's actually crazy because um, the efficacy actually of the product is better when you don't test on animals than when you do. Um, and it's such a—I mean, I won't go into the details, you know, on this podcast. But the, the cruelty against animals on on cosmetic testing is just is awful. Mm-hmm. And so the body shop is an interesting um, case because, I mean, they were you know with Anita Roddick were a pioneer in this whole purpose marketing domain. Um, but they sort of they sort of faded over the last decade. Um, and so uh, we're working with the the team in Canada on a on an anti animal testing. Uh, advocacy initiative, but it's also designed to reintroduce the body shop to, you know, lapsed consumers who used to love it, who just sort of, for no good reason, just stopped shopping there. Mm. Um, and so it really is designed to both drive the business, but also really materially move the needle and try to get a ban in Canada, U.S. And it's part of a global campaign that they're running uh, on animal testing. So I'm excited about that because it really is the profit and purpose. It's really thinking about both. Um, we're also, uh, we've been working with um, Kruger. So Kruger, the name may, may not be familiar to some of your listeners, but uh, Sponge Towel, Cashmere, Scotty, Purex, those are the brands that people use every day. They're the top brands in facial tissue and bathroom tissue and, and, and tissues in the kitchen. Uh, and we are their agency for their 100% recycled line called EnviroCare. Uh, and I'm really excited about it because We're trying to solve a business problem, which is how do you get more Canadians to buy 100% recycled paper products in a category that has very low interest, right? I mean, in paper, people basically buy on price and a bit on quality. Mm. Um, And there's a really big say-do gap in terms of what people say they will do and how they'll reward companies for being good, right, and being impactful, and then what they actually do. Right. And the stat is staggering. Only 7% of Canadians buy 100% recycled paper products, uh, which is staggering, which means 93% of people don't. And so we're working with them to figure out how do we actually break through and how do we increase market share? Because when you buy 100% recycled products, obviously you're not cutting down virgin forest, uh, and it's, it's vitally important. So that's a really, really tough but really exciting um, challenge. Uh, that we're doing. And, and I mean, I could go on, There's, you know, cool. on,
1: Maple Leaf Foods, on on that one, insecurity. on that yeah. last one, I'm, I'm super interested in obviously you said it's challenging and you're just doing the work, but like, how would you even go about closing that say do gap? Cause even as you said, it's it like, Oh yeah, I'd be a say do gap person or I'd say, Oh, I'd for sure. I'd use a hundred percent, but I, I don't. Yeah. And I don't even know why. So is it like a knowledge yeah. thing? Is it, you know, what is it? Well, it's, yeah, it's
0: really interesting. So, uh, I I I apologize that I brought it up because I'd love to talk about it. We literally just um this morning presented the whole strategy in the new oh. platform uh which went great by the way. And it's a That's complete good. flip on all I all I could say is this at this moment is it's a complete flip on how most people market environmental products. Gotcha. And it's really rooted in that that insight and that truth around how many people actually buy hundred percent recycled. And so You know, what's fun about kind of uh, being what we call ourselves a social impact marketing agency is we do live at the intersection between marketing and communications and social impact. And it it can't just be about the sizzle, right? You can't just have a clever marketing campaign. It really has to be rooted in social change. And so we we take a very strong kind of behavioral economics and social psychology lens to the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And we don't assume And we say this to all our clients uh, and anyone, quite frankly, who will listen. We always say we don't assume that people care. And not because we don't think they do. I mean, I very much believe people are generally good, right? But we're all busy. And the say you gap, in my mind, really uh, accentuates that point. And so we don't start from the point of assuming that people care. We start from the assumption that they probably don't. And we have to figure out ways in, behaviorally, and connect it to issues that they care about, which aren't necessarily the social issues that they care about, and find what we like to call the side door into an issue that doesn't assume you care to unlock and tweak a pre-existing behavior to create a positive social outcome. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing with this, with, with EnviroCare, is finding a different way into the issue um, to, and see if it will be successful.
1: Well, and I think overcoming that is probably the the number one challenge of marketers in the social space whether it's for a charity or a social impact venture generally you as the marketer work for that company and are leading that project because you really care right like you do care you know the issue That's right. it's very important to you so it's very hard to put yourself in the position and make that assumption you know that we need to assume that people don't care i know on the fundraising side it's the biggest thing of saying like, you know, this issue inside and out, but 95% of the people that you're trying to talk to do not know what you know, and probably don't care half as much as you care. How do you talk to them about this issue? And it's way different than how you talk to, you know, the hardcore lover of of all things that you do. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see a lot of the same things that you know, we would struggle with fundraising, I'm sure. That's, the more well, absolutely. It's way over. Well,
0: it is. I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out how, whether it's a citizen or a consumer, it's just they're coming together and actually blending. How do you unlock them to take an action um, that you want that has a positive, right, a positive impact? And yeah. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Brady, because oftentimes what I find, because we work with lots of nonprofits as well, and what I mm-hmm. find is, they start from the wrong, the starting point is wrong. They start mm. from themselves yeah. outward to the market. Yeah. So to your point, they start from them, When you start from your, your vantage point, you care and you're thinking about this so much more than the people you're trying to reach, yeah, right? Sure. And so it skews how you look at it. And what we always say to our nonprofit clients is, you gotta flip the way you look at this. You have to start from the market and then work inwards, right? Because the moment you start thinking about the market and you can segment and you ask yourself, well, against the audience you're going after, what do they care about, right? What do they read? What do they watch? What do they purchase? What do they give to, right? When you start to understand not just the demographics of your audience, but the psychographics, what motivates them, right? Mm -hmm. So you're asking what behavioral and attitudinal button can you push when you start from the market and then you go inwards to the organization and the kind of the action you want them to take, it shifts your perspective, your perspective on it, yeah, for sure, and so I think and, and I think it builds uh, you know I think it'll obviously make for much better uh, engagement and better communication, yeah um, but it's, but it's a challenge, and you know it's interesting to see with marketers in the for profit realm very good marketers, you know we're seeing a lot of brands trying to appropriate social purpose now, mm-hmm. right. Um, and some of them are doing it really well and some of them are doing it very badly. You know, the <laughs> recent sort of snafus, like the Pepsi example, yeah. is a case in point where if you're just trying to kind of grab on to a cause yeah. as a way to market your product, you know, consumers are going to call you out in a heartbeat because they, they don't see authenticity in it. They don't see that you're actually comm- truly committed to the issue over a long period of time. Yeah. And they're asking themselves a fundamental question, consciously or just unconsciously, which is, what gives you as a brand or a business license to play on that issue? And if you can't answer that question, then it's the wrong issue. Right. right? And so a lot of this work is trying to really figure out where to play, how to play, how to truly add value. And then you got to commit to it and stick with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's challenging. But I think the ones who are, the brands like the CVSs, right? Like the body shops, like the Patagonias, right? They who've been at it for a long period of time, um, they see huge success because it's authentic, it's real, they're committed to it, and their consumers believe it.
1: And is there, um, you know, part of the the benefit that we have today for some of these strategies maybe is like the power or the voice of the consumer, right? Like the Pepsi ads a great example. Within like minutes, <laughs> there's like revolts everywhere and everyone knew and saw right through it whereas maybe you know 15 years ago you could see an ad that was terrible but like you know what are you going to do write a few letters right you know like you don't have that quick reaction for better or worse but then also you know on the body shop or CVS or whatever it is you get those real loyal customers they also have much more ability to tell their neighbors tell their friends to like oh we love this company and so that i feel like that customer loyalty um or (laughs) customer revolt has so much more power and maybe that's why the profit with purpose model makes even more sense because uh customers can can do a lot of damage or do a lot of good uh and if they're connected Uh, then you know it could tilt your way that's right
0: that's right it's a
1: great amplifier either way right and and uh
0: it's a it's an excellent point there's no question that if you can build real brand ambassadors um, because they love your product. And then the moment that the product also, like if the product actually creates social impact, right. There's many products now coming onto the market like that. So all of these, uh, like, Ad- uh, Adidas just came out with one, but there's a whole, and Timberland's done it as well, but there's so many uh, examples of taking plastic out of the oceans mm-hmm. and then creating products with them. Right. Um, or you think about Tesla, quite frankly, which is in my mind is a social purpose product. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, when the product itself creates something positive, um, you know, your ability to create loyal brand ambassadors is is huge. But if you think about it, like Unilever with Dove has done a great job over the years around real beauty of really building a loyal following of people who love the product for what it stands for.
2: Um,
0: But, you know, because there's authenticity. So absolutely. So in the world that we live in today, there's a huge amplifier effect. The people who love your, love your brand. And what's really interesting about it, and we say this often, if you're trying to use social purpose to kind of mask the fact that you have a subpar product, it'll never work, right? It will always fail. And I've interviewed a bunch of CEOs of companies who've all said the same thing. I've interviewed the CEO, co-CEO of Warby Parker, right? The eyeglassware company. Mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to interview um, Richard Branson. I mean, some pretty interesting people, and mm-hmm. they've all said, you have the product, you're still a business, so the product or service has to be great. Yeah. But if you then integrate social purpose into it, whether it's fully integrated or it's just part of how you, you, know, you do business, um, the ability to engage more customers, to attract better talent, they've all said, um, we see a real amplification, which is your point, and I, and I think it's true. And that's the that's great opportunity for brands is to say, hmm, look at what's coming you're going to have 75% of the workforce is going, to be by, is going to be full of millennials within the next 10 years. And they have an expectation about how business operates, which is really this blending of profit and purpose, right? They don't, they don't think that nonprofits have the monopoly on doing good in the world, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at what's happening from an employee perspective, and you think, well, they're going to be 75% of the workforce, and they're expecting it, and they, want, they expect their companies to behave that way, you better get out in front of this thing. You better start thinking about how purpose is part of social purpose is part of your strategy, right? And consumer demands are changing. And then you start seeing all this data, all these data points, like the lack of confidence that consumers have in businesses and brands and the low confidence they have in CEOs, right? So trust in brands is, you know, and Edelman does this trust barometer is a really important issue. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to give you trust? And, and not that social purpose is the be all and end all, but it's certainly a part of it, right? And so what's really exciting is that there's this movement happening uh, where there's a greater expectation of it, right, where you can't, um, you know, you can't just do an offset anymore. And so it's forcing companies to really evaluate um, where and how they operate and play within the social impact realm. Yeah. And I think as a result of it, you're going to see, well, still lots of missteps, but you're going to see companies and a lot more leadership happening and being a really huge force for good in the world um, like never before.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I also think a lot of the the new companies that are being started just from day one have this built into their very cores and fibers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, That's right. Try, trying to tilt these big orgs to rethink csr like that's that's a not an easy job but there's huge scale if they can do it whereas you know it seems like almost every startup that i see or come across has some element of this kind of profit purpose built in and some of it's like you know shrewd marketers knowing it helps value and i think some of it is honestly just like millennials who again don't see that blending don't see that line and they're just this is just the business like i don't even know that's you know, exactly is right. It
0: is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just how we do business.
1: Yeah. Right? Which, yeah.
0: Which, you know, from our perspective is actually where the stuff needs to go. Right. It, you know, again, it's like, as we always say, it's not the be all and end all, but to not think about social purpose as part of how you run your business and part of your business strategy is a myth. You're not yeah. going to be penalized for it today, but you will be penalized for it in the future. Yeah. So, so why not get out in front of it? Why not start thinking about it and being a lot more strategic about it?
1: Yeah. No. I I think it's it's awesome. Um, and it's a huge threat to like the nonprofit and and charitable space because, again, um, they don't own the the world of doing good, and um, you know, the the offer that um profit and purpose companies have is often a lot stronger than what the offer of a charity has, right? You can do good. You can be a part of something big and you can get some kind of product and benefit. And like, it's a really, really strong offer. And I think it's a great thing for the for the sector overall. And it should challenge yeah. you know, nonprofits and how they think too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I, look, I do th- I agree with you that I think it can be seen as a real threat. I also think it's a huge opportunity. Um, and what it's forcing, I think, nonprofits to do is get a lot sharper on whether or not what they are trying to do in the world, whether they're really having impact around it, Mm -hmm. right? I think there's still way too much focus, way too much attention being placed on silly arguments around operating costs, as as an example, Mm -hmm. right? And I always say, like, who cares if one charity is at 60-40 and they're operating to, like, delivery of service, 60% and 40% of their operating, and the other Mm -hmm. one's 90 10 well, people will default and say, oh, well, I'm going to support, I'm going to give my money to the one who only has 10% operating. But I already say, but that's the wrong question. The question is, who's having the most impact? Because if the one who's only putting 60% uh, is having the most impact, that's where I want my money to go. So I think what's happening as the world is evolving and as companies are starting to think really seriously about social impact as part of the business strategy, it's forcing nonprofits to up their game Right, But I don't think it's a threat in that, I think it's more of an opportunity, I should say, because, again, back to the license to operate and, and knowing what you're good at, and what you're not good at, I mean, there's a huge role for charities and nonprofits who have really, who are doing incredible work in delivering service to, whether that's, um, you know, uh, reducing youth homelessness or whether that's around reducing food insecurity, right? Pick the issue. Yeah who get up every day to do that. And so partnership is critical to it. So I think the ones who, um, the ones who are really impact-focused are the ones who are going to gain significantly because part of the shift that's also happening is uh, nonprofits have to stop thinking of corporations as ATM machines,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's not a sponsorship game anymore. It's, just, it's a partnership game. And what yeah. we always advise our nonprofit clients is, I say the first question I ask is, talk to me about how the world looks different on your issue in 10 years. And I Mm -hmm. say, don't worry about whether or not um, you have the money to do it today, whether you have the full capacity of your team to do it today. Just Mm -hmm. talk to me about how the world looks different on diabetes or how does the world look different Mm -hmm. on, right? you name the health or environmental issues. And I can tell you that a lot of times, too many times, the CEOs of organizations have a terrible answer to the question. Mm. And so if you don't know how the world you want it to look different and you can't project forward and you then don't have a sense for, well, where are we at with the issue today and where do we want to go and what's the gap,
2: right? Mm.
0: And, then, and then when you understand the gap, then to say, well, what are we really good at and where do we play, right? And who else is playing in it and who should we be collaborating with? And what would it look like to find the right set of partners, corporate and government and otherwise, who could really help us achieve these sets of outcomes over the long term to get towards the change that we wanna see in the next 10 years. When you put that lens on it, the conversation you have with a
2: a corporate
0: is very different and very exciting. And that's where real partnership comes in. And so I think there's a huge opportunity for the nonprofit sector to start thinking on those terms. Because then you're not just getting money from the corporate, what you're getting is their reach. Yeah. Right, their employees and getting them engaged in really meaningful ways—not like the the one day of volunteerism, but actually engaging with your with your issue and bringing their skill sets to bear. Right, right. you're getting the money, you're getting their channels and the reach that they can do. You're opening up to new audiences. So there's a huge opportunity here, but it but it necessitates a, a mind shift in thinking yeah. around how we think about social impact and really getting out of the charity mindset, which I think is still rooted. In this, we can do good in the world, and as long as we're doing good, that's, that's kind of good enough. And I yeah. think what we're saying is, no, it, it's not good enough anymore.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, interesting times ahead, eh?
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we'll be nine, public will be nine years old in October. And, you know, I feel like we're just getting started. And I am yeah. so hopeful and optimistic about where things are going. It's not going as fast as I think any of us would like. Sure. But um, there's some, I think it's very exciting. I think, yeah, no, it's, you know, with all, a, all the awful things that are happening in the world today, <laughs> there's, inc- there's so much great stuff happening too. So it's a yeah. very interesting and challenging time.
1: Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, thanks for giving us your time, but also for the work that you guys are doing because you're, you know, you're out on the forefront of this stuff and it's it's so cool and inspiring to hear about. So uh, thanks for taking some time. Uh, where can people yeah, learn more about you. Uh, about you and your work?
0: So you can uh, check us out. Our website is, uh, you know, publicinc.com. You can check us out obviously on Twitter. At, the handle is publicinc. Uh, my personal Twitter handle is Bill Haid. Um, and, you know, obviously from the site, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and so on. But uh, yeah, we're always open. You'll see on our site, we say, let us buy you a beer uh, and uh, we're sincere about it. So we're always open to a conversation and, and hear what people are up to and, and and look for ways to collaborate so uh, we welcome it
1: awesome well thanks again phil
0: my pleasure thank you
1: Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to The Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search The Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at nextafter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.